we're to love one another uh, in a sacrificial way. And the love that we have isn't a, a brotherly love. It isn't an affectionate love. It is a charitable or a sacrificial love that we give to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so for some people, that looks like giving up our preference, or really for all believers, it looks like giving up our preferences, our traditions, and our practices for the sake of those who don't hold those same traditions and practices and and all of that. So you might, you know, I've joked about, you know, you might think that the preacher ought to be clean shaven and you're just not going to get that while I'm here. I'm sorry. But the, uh, but uh, you might think that you ought to have to wear a suit and tie when you come to church. And you ought to, if you think that, you ought to be willing to sacrifice of your preferences because they are preferences if you fail to recognize that. You ought to be able to sacrifice of those preferences and those traditions for the sake of your brother or sister in Christ. and uh, But then on the flip side, as we saw last time, there might be those who are, are, they recognize that they're free in Christ. They recognize that they are able to, um, to throw off tradition and even wisdom and to live in a certain way uh, that is, is free from the, the bondage of those traditions and things. But the, that those people that think, that recognize that they are free should should also sacrifice of that freedom. They should sacrifice of those liberties for the sake of their weaker brothers or sisters in Christ. And so we talked last week about uh, eating meat or drinking wine, that if we, if we have a weaker brother who struggles with substances or struggles with different things, then we should be willing to sacrifice even the things that we are free to do uh, for the sake of that weaker brother. So now we come to the end of Paul's principles of sacrifice and love with our text this morning from Romans chapter 15 verses 1 through 7. So let's read that together and then I want to get into the two points of my sermon this morning. Romans chapter 15 beginning in verse 1, God's word says, "We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for good, to build him up." For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So from our passage this morning, I want us to see two points. First, we're going to see examples of sacrificial love. And second, we're going to see the goals of sacrificial love. So the examples of sacrificial love and the goals of sacrificial love. So first, let's consider the examples of sacrificial love from verses 1 through 4. So Paul begins these verses by reminding us of this principle or this rule of love in verses 1 and 2. And on the one hand, uh, coming right on the heels of his guidance about the strong in faith, he emphasizes that those who are strong should bear with the failings of the weak. So remember, 
when Paul says the word strong, when he talks about those who are strong in the faith, what he means is someone who is mature and someone who is able to distinguish between the things that are wisdom, things that are tradition, and things that are law. While the weak are those who are immature or they're young in the faith and they're not so ready to throw off tradition and, and rules and wisdom uh, for the sake of you know, going with a, a friend or a, 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 another believer, like the example I gave last time of going with somebody to the movies. You might have reservations about that if you're young in the faith and, you're, uh, and, and uh, you grew up in a very conservative home or something like that. And so Paul says that we're to bear with those who are weak in the faith. The strong, therefore, are to bear with the weak. We shouldn't flaunt our freedoms. We shouldn't uh, you know, act like you know, what the weak prefer or the traditions they're holding to or the strict guidance that they're holding to. We shouldn't act like that's foolish and stupid and why would you ever want to do that? Instead, we should love them and we should bear with them in their, uh, in their what Paul calls their failings. And we should be mindful of how our freedoms might be perceived by those who are young in the faith. Now, on the other hand, Paul emphasizes that everyone, whether you're strong or weak, regardless of how long you've been walking in faith, regardless of what your background is, regardless of where you come from, everyone who is a believer should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. In other words, our focus as believers within the body of Christ should be for the good of other believers. We should not consider first in this church what our needs are or what our preferences are or what we want out of the worship service or what we want out of Sunday school. We should consider what others need and we should be concerned about uh, what they need above our own concern. So we, we shouldn't be concerned about our own recognition or the benefits we get from membership or the respect that we think we're due, whether it be for our long years of service in the church or because of our family's long membership in the church. Instead, we should sacrifice of whatever pride or status or rights we think we have for the sake of other believers, for the sake of discipling them in the faith. So to drive home this point, Paul turns to two examples that we should look to as we suffer or as we offer this sacrifice of love. And the first example is the ultimate example. Okay, In verse 3, he calls us to consider the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So this is like the trump card. You know, um, it's like the what would Jesus do kind of uh, bracelet. Like you think, well, I ought to be able, you know, I wish this other person would give up uh, his preferences and, and do what I want him to do. And you say, well, what would Jesus do? <laughs> you know, he wouldn't be concerned about what I want or what he wants. He would be concerned about what the other person needs. And specifically, Paul wants us to consider the fact that Jesus did not seek his own glory or claim his own right. Instead, he was willing to accept the reproaches of sinful men so that he might save us. 
I, I don't remember the exact song. Some of you who are more familiar with Southern gospel music might be uh, able to recall it. But there's a Southern gospel songs that that goes something like it says something like he could have called 10,000 angels. You know that I think of that whenever I think of the the crucifixion scene that Jesus is hanging on the cross, stripped naked, whipped with a cat of nine tails, uh, be battered and bruised, hanging there for all of the world to see, spat upon, mocked and ridiculed. And all the while, he is not a helpless thief or criminal. He is not like the other two that are, uh, are, are beside him. He is standing there or hanging there as the king of the universe who could have called 10,000 angels to his defense at any moment that he decided that it was not worth it. And Jesus being of that authority, did not consider his own rights or his own privileges as the very Son of God, but instead he was willing to take the reproaches of sinful men that he might save us. Paul puts it this, this way in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-8. through 8. He says, "...have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus." who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So catch the point that Paul is making here. Our mindset... He says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Our mindset should be that of Jesus. And Jesus was, had far more to give up than we could ever have to give up. Jesus was in the very form of God from all of eternity past. He had enjoyed the fellowship of his father in perfect Trinitarian union. Yet he emptied himself, is what Paul says, which is to say that he chose to submit to the will of his Father in everything for the sake of God's saving purposes. He was willing to do that even to the point of facing the cruelest death that anyone could ever imagine. So if Jesus was, so, uh, was in the very form of God and could go from, if he could go from extreme power and pride to such low humiliation, then we can certainly give up our liberties or our preferences for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ. If he can do it with such an extreme giving and sacrifice, then certainly we can get over what people should wear to church, right? Certainly we can get over whether someone is offending us in the way that they are acting or in their wishes for the church. The second example Paul gives of sacrificial love are those of Scripture. In verse 4, he tells us that whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction. In other words, we should also consider the example of the saints that we find in Scripture. Consider the sacrifices of a few that I thought of. Consider the sacrifices of Joseph who was despised by his brothers to the point that they were willing to sell him. Into, actually, they originally wanted to kill him, 
But then one of his brothers convinced them to, not to kill him, but to sell him into slavery. So they sold him into slavery into Egypt. And through God's providence, he ended up working his way up to the pinnacle of Egyptian societies. And at that very moment, when he is at the pinnacle of his position, he's the second in command over all of Egypt, his brothers come groveling for food. And what does Joseph do? He doesn't raise the hand of revenge against his brothers. Instead, he extends the hand of forgiveness. Consider the sacrifices of Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were ripped from their homeland, taken into slavery in Babylon. Very likely, they were made to be eunuchs. They were forced to learn a new language, educate themselves in the religion and law of the Babylonians, and they were forced to adopt Babylonian culture. But notice, they didn't rebel. They didn't fight against every cultural demand. They didn't conspire against the king. They had the direct access to the king, and they didn't decide, hey, we need to come up with a plot to assassinate the king. No, they sought the good of the city to which they were taken. Yet even as they were adapting to the culture of the place that they were taken, they still did not betray the worship of the one true God or bow the knee to false gods. They were faithful witnesses, even while they understood that they could adapt to the culture of their captivity. Lastly, consider Peter from Acts chapter 10. There we are told that God sends a dream to a, a Roman centurion named Cornelius. And he tells him that there's this man named Peter that you need to send, send for because this man is going to tell you the gospel so that you can be saved. And at the very same time, God sends a dream or a vision to Peter. And in this vision, he sees this giant sheet that comes down out of heaven. And on that sheet are all these unclean, Animals. Now, if you remember from what we talked about last time, there uh, in Jewish law, they had unclean animals that the Jews were not supposed to eat, and they had clean animals that they were allowed to eat. And as the sheep comes down from heaven with all these lizards and insects and uh, squirrels and goat or, or, or um, pigs and all that on it, uh, the, the voice from heaven comes down and says, Take and eat. And two different times, Peter refuses the very word of God by saying, my lips have never touched anything unclean. Now imagine that. God himself is telling you to take and eat. And you tell him, nope, I'm too religious to take and eat. I, I'm, I'm the cleanest of clean. And so the voice ends up the second time around calling out to Peter and saying, what God has declared to be clean, let no man declare to be unclean. So at, at the time, at the very time that Peter wakes up from this dream, Cornelius' servants show up at his front door asking to see. So Paul, uh, Peter goes with them and he witnesses to Cornelius and Cornelius comes to faith in Christ. And Peter realizes that that dream wasn't really even primarily about what he should eat and what he shouldn't eat. What it was about is a tradition that Jews had about being around Gentiles. Because Jews believed that if you 
were if you fellowshiped, if you ate with a Gentile, then you were ceremonially unclean. Now, there's nothing in the Old Testament law that says that. That's actually a Jewish tradition, not a Jewish law that says that. But he realized that what God was showing him in that vision of the sheet with all the unclean animals is that there were Gentiles that were going to begin to come to faith in Christ in the, in the thousands. And he needed to recognize that this tradition that he had held to was not, uh, not the Word of God. It was not something that he should practice. And instead, he should readily and openly accept Gentiles into the family of God. He shouldn't refuse fellowship for a man-made tradition. All of these and more are examples of how we can live sacrificially as believers. So finally, let's consider the second point, the goal of sacrificial love or the goals of sacrificial love from verses 5 through 7. So here Paul gives two goals that we are to pursue as we love others sacrificially. One goal is that we are to live in harmony as the family of God. Now, I have seen in my time as a minister in various different churches, I have seen conflict arise in churches over the craziest of things. I know of one, one situation in a church in which members of the church came into conflict over whether to get rid of an electric organ. Now, mind you, this electric organ had not worked in 20 years. It sat on the uh, stage, unplayed and unable to be played, not because there was no musician to play it, but because it was broken. But yet, a conflict arose over what to do about this organ, because someone had donated it. And because someone donated, donates it, I don't know where this was ever written, but apparently in a Baptist church, when somebody donates it, you cannot get rid of it. And let me just say, uh, and, and this is not from the Lord, this is from me, so let me just say this. You can get mad at me if you want, but it's Pastor Appreciation Sunday, so keep that in mind. Uh, number one, if you donate something, don't donate it as an idol to yourself, okay? If you're donating it so that it will be in this church for the rest of eternity or until Christ comes back, I should say, just don't give it to us. I'm sorry. It's not our obligation to take your old piano because you don't want it in your house anymore because you're remodeling it. Okay? It's, if, you, if the church needs it, then thank God there are people who give, give and give sacrificially. But don't give the church or a Christian organization something because you want it to become an idol or a, a memorial to yourself. And on the, other, on the flip side of that, congregation, when somebody gives something, they give it to the Lord. They, and, and if the church doesn't need it anymore, then we don't need it anymore, okay? And we can move on. We can give it to goodwill. We can throw it away. We can do what we want to with it because when they gave it to us, they gave it to the Lord, and it's, it's no longer theirs. So uh, one time, uh, along with that, we, uh, another church was renovating uh, the, the playground, and the playground was broken, like literally broken. You could, we couldn't let children play on it because they might get cut. 
and, but somebody donated the playground so we couldn't throw the playground away because it was donated. Like, what? It doesn't even work anymore. What's the point of doing that? But anyway, we, we can let our preferences get in the way and cause conflict and bring about a disharmony because we are... Uh, uh, because we are concerned about recognition and preferences over what the church needs and how to move forward. In another case, I know of a church in which a very serious conflict arose over kitchen, a kitchen renovation. One woman had plans to remodel the, the kitchen cabinets herself, even though the church had voted to contract that out. And that conflict became so heated that the church nearly split over that very issue. So brothers and sisters, these quarrels over preferences should not be. They shouldn't be because we should live as sacrifices of love. We are to give up what we want for the sake of others because we want to live in harmony. There's, all, there's this great question that one of the deacons that I served with at, at uh, First Baptist always asked of deacon candidates when they would come before the ordination council for deacon uh, ordination, the, this deacon would ask if, if the deacons get together and they vote on something and you're passionately for one thing and the deacons end up voting to go another way, will you then, are you pledging now that you will support whatever the deacons vote for? Now, I think that's a good rule, not just for deacons, but for the rest of the church. That you should, as a member, be willing to support what the majority of the church supports. And if they vote, if we get together, the whole point of a vote in a, in a church business meeting is to come to consensus and to, sit and to seek the will of the Lord so that we might move forward and do something for the kingdom of God. And if we vote to do that and you're on the no side and everybody else is on the yes side then you should be willing as a believer to sacrifice of your desires for the sake of the... You shouldn't go out in the parking lot immediately after and start grumbling because you didn't get your way. And I'm not going to come back because I can't believe they voted to do that. That's not what sacrificial love is. Sacrificial love is being willing to give up of what you prefer to be done for the sake of harmony in the church. The second goal of sacrificial love is found in verse 6. And Paul says that together you may with one voice glorify God. When we love one another and live in harmony, we glorify God. We are able to worship with, be discipled and taught by, and even corrected by our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when the world looks at us, in that harmony and that mutual love, they cannot help but see the glory of God. And that's what's so tragic about churches that come into conflict. Because it, it diminishes or it distracts from the glory of God. So may we leave this place ready to offer the sacrifice of love, pursuing harmony and the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ways that it corrects us, that it reproves us, and that it leads us in righteousness. 
Lord, I pray that it has done that very thing for this congregation today. Lord, I pray that we would leave ready to serve one another as sacrifices of love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, bless us now as we respond in praise. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.